Hey, welcome back, banditos. It's Wednesday. It's hump day. It's comic book day. But around here, we like to call it Dollar Bin Bandit Day. I'm Joe Marcello. I'm Warren Phillips. And I'm Mike Farah. And this is the Dollar Bin Bandits podcast. Today, we're bringing you our interview with another returning guest. Yes, people are actually willing to come back. So I guess that means uh, they like us enough and they want to talk to us a little bit more. Uh, And that guest just happens to be Mark Wade. Now, I wasn't able to make it to the first interview. Uh, Mike and Oren did a fantastic job first time around. Uh, But when Oren said he's willing to come back and speak to us again, I was absolutely thrilled. Um, It's clear after listening to him, he loves what he does. Uh, He loves comics and it shows in his work. Uh, I finally had a chance to talk to him about Kingdom Come, which for me is just absolutely huge because it's among the group of comics that's part of my reread list. I will always, always go back to it and enjoy it. Yes, unfortunately for me, uh, my allergies decided to uh, really flare up that night. So that was a a fun time and I missed this one, but um, I'm sorry to do so because I I really love Mark Wade. Um, Every time he speaks to him, he's such a bright guy and he has such a, a wealth of information that you feel like you learned something that you didn't know. And with this interview, you guys did a bang up job. And again, you know, it's, it's great for fans. I was happy to be the connective tissue as it were between the uh, first episode and this one. Um, Love talking to Mark Wade. Uh, We got into a bunch of different things a little deeper on some of the things from the first episode. Uh, He offered some remembrances of his friend and collaborator, Brian Augustine, which I thought was powerful. And we also talked a bit about um, his new or coming soon Netflix uh, adaptation of Irredeemable and um, Incorruptible. So we are looking forward to that and looking forward to everything that he does. So let's get into it with Mark Wade. We're talking to none other than Mark Wade. Uh, I, uh, I am so, so unbelievably excited and happy that you're able to join us. Thank you so much. You're quite welcome. Um, I don't believe you guys touched on it last time you spoke, uh, but I will ask the same question we kind of ask everyone is, how did you get your your start in comics? Ah, it's, you know, Devin Grayson always says that the way you get your start in comics is you find some secret way into the installation. And it's like breaking into a high-tech military installation because the first thing they do is they create it so they fix it so that nobody else can get in that way. Um, In my case, I was, you know, reading comics forever. Uh, I became, I did a lot of articles for Amazing Heroes magazine, which was, you know, the fanzine of its day. Uh, That got me in front of a lot of DC editors. Uh, I was also one of the guys who would schlep convention guests from the airport to the hotel and back and forth and, you know, at conventions. And that sort of helped me get into a networking position with people. So, I went to work at Fantagraphics, Fantagraphics as an editor for a bit, and then DC called, asked me if I wanted to be an editor there. Great. Took that job for a couple of years and then went freelance, and it's been a, a pretty lucky road ever since. That's Great. So we wanted to um, you know, just jump around, probably get back to a few things that we talked about the first time, but maybe dig a little deeper. One of them was uh, The Flash. I know we mm-hmm. talked about that last time, you know, your big eight-year run on that. Um, my, you know, my more specific question is around, you know, the supporting cast, right? So mm-hmm. it's a it's a solo book, but you brought in um, for major roles a lot of new or or old speedsters, mm-hmm. right? You have Jake right. Garrick. Um, you brought in Impulse. Um, what was the you know impetus behind that? How did you feel like um, sort of a family of speedsters would help add to uh, this title and and um, you know, the character development. Right. That's a fair question. I think that there's two answers. One is that I didn't, I didn't start with much of a supporting cast and that's because uh, Bill Loeb's who had built up this great supporting cast with the McGee's and with Chunk and so forth had indicated that he wanted to take some, at least he told me at the time he wanted to take some of these characters over to his Wonder Woman book where he was moving on to. So it's that ended up not happening, but, in the shuffle, they got lost. And also I started very much with Wally and then a little bit of Linda and built from there because I was still getting my, you know, my, my sea legs, right. I mean, it was the first regular assignment that I'd had as a scripter all my own. 
and so I really needed to make sure I got a handle on Wally and his character before I started really building out. So the, the building of the cast with speedsters is I think very much an outgrowth of the invention of the speed force is coming up with the idea that there's something that ties all these speedsters together. And then once Brian and I had that idea, then it was moving on to how do we create terminal velocity, which is the story that was going to build up to issue 100. And for that, we need more speedsters. But even then it was, you know, a lot of it was return of Barry Allen as well. Right. Um, I think that some of it is that I genuinely like all those characters, Johnny quick, Quicksilver, golden age flash, uh, I think a lot of it too is that being a Superman fan, in the, especially in the Silver Age of comics, he had a Supergirl and you know a Super Dog and this and this. You know there were there was a family around Superman and of, of like-minded characters or of like-powered characters. And I never thought that made Superman not unique as a kid. I just thought that's an interesting. You know he's got a, a family around him, so it just made. I think I subconsciously drew the speedsters into Wally's world in it because of my love for that. It wasn't a conscious decision, but looking back, I think that might've had something to do with it. You know, you said Superman. It also made me think of Captain Marvel or Shazam and, uh, and his sort of supporting cast and all the, you know, Marvel family. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, that was great. Uh, Something I really appreciate about your work and, and, you know, writers such as yourself and Jeff Johns is that, you guys do the homework in that mm-hmm. you guys will reference things that happened way back when, or in an issue. If, if and it serves the story. If it's, but even so, like it, <clears throat> they're just such little nuggets of information that are so, and, and not dismissing them by any means, but no. you know, it may have been mentioned in a panel, like, you know, as like a non sequitur in, in some issue way back when, but I'm like, Oh my God, you made yeah. it relevant and, and uh, carry weight. It was such fantastic work. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I mean, that's part of the fun of it is yeah. looking back and finding little nuggets of things, little seeds that may or may not admit anything at the time, but something you can use to blossom something forward. It's not so much that, you know, I mean, just to clarify for the viewers, it's not so much that you're referring to, you know, this thing happened in 1965 in this one panel of Flash. It's more like just building out the building out the mythos and even referring back to your own stuff. I mean, Grant Morrison and I talk about this all the time, that when you're writing an ongoing monthly, which is a rare thing these days, uh, there's a certain there's a certain technique that is not used when you're writing miniseries. Right. It's the idea that you can just build and build and build. And more often than not, uh, we both agree that you will look back on your earlier work in that run and find little bits of gold, little 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 uh, breadcrumbs yeah. that you have subconsciously planted that can grow into something else. Yeah. One of uh, the storylines that you or yeah storylines that you worked on, uh, and I, I believe you guys definitely discussed it a bit last time was Kingdom Come and. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, when Oren told me that you guys were going to be, we're going to be talking to you, I was <laughs> freaking out because that book, like when I started collecting, it had just finished and I was just kind of ramping up my collection and getting to know comics. So then someone told me about that and it just blew my mind to this day. It's one of those books that I, I reread and I've had it in every form and I always just find something else, whether it's the artwork or the story or it's just amazing. Um, when, when that story was initially pitched or created, was there anything that didn't quite make it into the overall finished product? There were a few things. I mean, you know, it's one thing to sit down and plan a big epic like that. And it's another one to look and see that you've got 180 pages, you know, live or die. That's what you've got. So I, I do remember Alex and I spent a lot of time developing a daughter for Norman uh, and an estranged relationship there that could somehow mirror the the you know Dick Grayson relationship with his his daughter, and there just at the end of the day there just wasn't room for that in the book. That's the thing that most comes to mind. I don't. I'll, there were a lot of other things that didn't didn't exactly fall on the cutting room floor because they never really got that far. 
there were just a lot of things about Power Girl. I think at some point in Alex's original concept was going to be the the face of the anti super. The, you know, the other side of the basically filling the Wonder Woman role, if you or the Captain Marvel role, if you will, the, role, the Wonder Woman role. There's anything you know, the thing to, to fight against against uh, Superman and Wonder Woman just was right there. And it made more sense to us as we developed the book to make it that. And I'm glad we did because I think that people responded well to that version of Wonder Woman. Did, um, were there other characters that you wanted to, uh, you know, like you just mentioned, were there, and it's hard to believe because you, there, every character in the DC universe at the time was in it. Was there anyone else that you wanted to possibly fit into it that didn't make I it? I don't think so that I can think of. I mean, it was, it was pretty cram-packed, you know, yeah. it was pretty jam-packed. And, and basically my, my rule of thumb has always been to say, if it's a character who had a line of dialogue or some meaningful part in the story, then it was a character that I wanted in the book. If it wasn't somebody who didn't have a line of dialogue, it's just somebody Alex painted in the background, which is fine. That's why the monkeys are there, you know? <laughs> but even those, I mean, there's not one thing in that book yeah. that just doesn't have any relevance. I don't think. I mean, they're yeah. it, they're there because they should be there, and even mm-hmm. if they're in the background, they're yeah. supposed to be there, and they're awesome. <laughs> um, that's that's part of storytelling, man. It, you you know, cut it to the bone and don't leave things that don't deserve to be on the spine of the story. Let them go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a testament to the writing and storytelling that with so many characters, it doesn't feel um, overstuffed yeah. Thank you. And, and overblown. So, um, you know, as everybody has said, and we'll just add our uh, to the chorus, you know, wonderful job with that. I'm, I'm interested in, you know, the process of um, developing not just the story, but sort of the world. Mm-hmm. Right, because you're projecting um, these characters fairly far into the future. You have to construct uh, almost, I, I would imagine, histories to where they are now in the Kingdom Come storyline, how they got there, even yeah. if you don't see that on the page. Um, you know, how much, uh, you know, work and what was the process like to sort of map out these, these future histories, if you will? I mean, the help was that Alex loves these characters and knows them as much as I do. So, you know, that we have both clearly spent innumerable hours before we even met thinking about Aquaman, thinking about Green Lantern, that helps. So, you know, we had a couple of conversations after DC sort of hooked us up. And then I went out to Alex's place in Chicago for a long weekend. And we basically sat around his apartment and mapped stuff out and started talking about each of the characters one by one. Uh, a lot of it came from Alex's sketches. We would then springboarding off of that, you know, Green Lantern sitting on a throne or Flash just being a, a vibrational field or whatever, and and then building off of that. There, there were then, you know, other things like Captain Marvel or, you know, what happened to the Metal Men or all that stuff. That was stuff that arose more spontaneously out of our conversations. That's really interesting, um, yeah. uh, especially with, you know, sometimes you don't think that the art or pre-existing, you know, creative visual concepts inform how the story is then written yeah. or how the history is then created. Right. And they totally do. I mean, I, I do think that looking back, I regret that Alex has not gotten more credit for not exactly co-plotting, but, but being a voice in this. I think that too many people look at the division of as, as if I just had come up with a brilliant story completely on my own in an attic and handed 180 pages of script to Alex and he was my art monkey. And that wasn't the case at all. So uh, I, you know, I always am grateful to hear that people like the story. I, I try to be gracious about the compliments, but I also want to always make sure that Alex gets his due as you know, there would be no project without Alex. Yeah, it's clear in the artwork that there is, you know, and this is not to dismiss anyone else's artwork, but the the uh, planning that went into the design of each of these characters, there was major thought in it that went into it and story behind 
the way they look the way they look. So, you know, yeah. it it would take the two of you to really to flesh that out. I mean, like, you know, Alan Scott being the the Green Lantern and, you know, that that night look that he had. I mean, he just looked grizzled and, you know, you don't want to mess with him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, he wasn't the once somewhat happy go lucky, you know, uh, you know, golden age or, you know, Green Lantern that we knew, you know, he's seen some stuff at this point. So (laughs) I I never thought about this before, but I would wager that Alex is incapable of throwing out something, just throwing it out as a whim. I think he thinks about all of this stuff before he puts pen to paper every time or where he puts brush to, to board. Yeah. I really think he thinks about a lot of this stuff really in super detail before he goes off. Paint's expensive, so he must. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, one other minor, uh, you know, Kingdom Come related question before we move on, because I know you've talked about it nauseam <laughs> at this point in your life, but... One of the things that it's it's uh, it's a small aspect of the overall story that I absolutely adore is at the end of um, I think like three out of the four issues uh, or now in the in the the complete set you have like these cast lineups yeah and they're numbered and there are little blurbs two three sentences about each character yeah not very big but man each one of them packs a punch about like a backstory about characters that are not a major part of the story. Yeah. For instance, like Steel, he um, no longer has allegiance to Superman, is now Batman aligned. Right. And right. did you write that as well? Or was that both you and, and Alex? It would, have, it would have been Alex and me throwing an idea. I mean, I'm sure if there was any typing involved, I did the writing of that. But okay. I'm sure Alex and me knocking ideas back and forth. I don't think it was any of it was out of my head spontaneously. Yeah, it, it's it, it's you know other than the actual story. I mean, it's just my favorite part. I used to just go back and reread those. I'm like, this is awesome. This is amazing. Yeah. I'm like, and you know, there are so many characters who like you know, there's a set of eyes in the background. I'm like, well, what's that? Okay, yeah. I know that. Yeah, it was it was a lot. Such of a blast to read. And then I got this monstrosity behind me, the absolute yeah. one. And man, my wife couldn't pull me away from it. Not so. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. Um, yes, I'm, I'm. I'm still amazed at the detail every time I, I pick it up, both both story detail and and art detail. Um, I wanted to take a, a little bit of a turn um, towards uh, your friend and collaborator Brian Augustine, yeah. who um, passed away suddenly a few months ago. Yeah. I'd love to know, you know, uh, some remembrance of him. If you could tell uh, tell our audience a little bit more about working with him, what made him a special, you know, writer, editor, collaborator. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things. I mean, one of the things that made him good at his job is that he was a people person, is that he knew how to get the best work out of people. He knew as an editor, that was his job. An editor's job is not to make you tell their story. An editor's job is to help you tell your story the best way possible. And Brian fully understood that. He knew when to step back and when to step in and grab the reins. He also had a real eye for talent um, in the sense that he gave first jobs to, you know, Mike Parabek and, you know, Derek Robertson and Michael Ringo and Oscar Jimenez and and Travis Cherish and so many other people um, that he found and developed and have gone on and have been, that's a big part of his legacy too. So, and beyond that, you know, we were best friends for, you know, 35 years. Um, it, we met when I, when we were both editing at DC comics and we were kindred spirits right off the bat. And we just complimented each other very well in terms of how we saw stories, how we saw things going together. So we worked well together just as editors and then doing the occasional story or thought here and there, whatever, you know, project here or there. And then when he asked me to do flash, you know, he, he had my back because no one else at that company thought it was a good idea. No one, everyone told him to his face. You're just letting some fanboy do the book. He's going to do a silver age recreation. It's going to be terrible. And you've made a horrible mistake. And by the way, this TV show is canceled. So why aren't we just canceling the comic too? And Brian stuck to his guns and it it seems to have worked out. Seems to have worked out pretty well. Um, 
all of the stories, everything we did together in that book, whether it was when he was my editor or later when I coerced him to come on board as a co-writer, it's all still got Brian's DNA in it, hardwired in it, because every single issue, every single issue was me calling Brian and saying, all right, I got maybe an idea for this issue, but I don't know what to do with it. Let's talk about it. And we would just knock it around for half an hour on the phone and laugh and, you know, try to play one-upsmanship with each other and, and, you know, try to top each other with ideas and then come away with a story. Um, And we laughed a lot because, and this is absolutely true. I think the best ideas start as jokes because they're unexpected because they're, they, you know, they, they, they strike you, you know, that's why humor works. That's what jokes work, right? Cause they surprise you. It's the same with ideas. Um, and so a lot of that grew out of there. So everything from impulse to the speed force to max mercury to, you know, the Linda Wally relationship, whatever, all of that stuff has, you know, while I did the typing, I mean, it certainly has Brian's, you know, blood in there somewhere and none of that stuff exists without Brian. I mean, it sounds like, uh, real special guy. Um, yeah, yeah. you know, I wish we had the opportunity to talk to him. I'm, I'm glad you're, you, you know, you're able to sort of spread the gospel, um, now that he's gone and, um, yeah, wish, yeah. wish for your I, sake no, I, and for all of our sake, he was, he was still around. Yeah. I just, I don't know anybody. I've never heard anybody have a bad word to say against him, you know, it's, which is more than you can say for me. Um, and I think that, yeah, I, I, you know, he, he never got the recognition he probably deserved. I think that Gotham by Gaslight certainly helped. I mean, that's the, you know, that's the thing he's going to be best known for, I think, in comics and deservedly so. That was a project that we worked on together and it was a blast from start to finish. And nobody ever thought we could pull it off because it was, you know, this is, what is this? This is not in DC continuity. We, you know, we're very tight on continuity since crisis. What are you doing here? And it seemed to have worked out. Yeah. Great, great title. Uh, great um, talent. What's it? I mean, so much of the the work that you've been a part of is now on the screen. Uh, yeah. You know, movies uh, in animated form. What's that like for you? I mean, did you ever think that no. you would get to this point? No, no, nobody ever. Nobody of my generation of writers ever thought it would come to this. If we did, we would have had better contracts. Um, <laughs> but yeah. But that said, I mean, there's you know, there's two ways to look at. Right. You can be cynical and angry and not not unjustifiably so mm-hmm. that, you know, billions of dollars are being made off of these things that were your concepts and your ideas that you put into the pool of the IP. You could be that way. But the fact of the matter is, A, you knew the deal when you took it. And B, I, you know, being angry about it doesn't change it. So I just choose to lean into it. And. I, yeah, you could have cut me a check for the use of the word speed force, but I would, you know, in the flash TV show or in the movie and stuff. And I would have been very happy to have it, but 10 years later, I'm not going to remember what I spent that money on, but I will always remember the moment that I heard, you know, Harrison Wells say speed force on TV. I just lit up like a Christmas tree and the same with, you know, the S stands for hope or, any of the stuff that, you know, that manages to make it into the mainstream. It's just, it's, it's a way of, it's a good feeling to know that you were able to put something back in the pool rather than just take and take and take, right. And just use other people's toys and not contribute something of your own. And then that you've given it something that has legs beyond you is just a nice feeling. It it feels like you did something, you know? Yeah. Uh, I have to say, you know, listening to you and, you know, through the interviews that we've had in, over the past year or so, I've had a chance to really hear people, have them, you know, speak their minds and their opinions. And you could tell, and I am not slighting anyone or knocking anyone no. else, but you could tell who is a real fan mm-hmm. and versus someone who is doing the job and that's it and they move on, which is fine. You know, which is fine. But people do that. I'm yeah. certainly guilty of that myself at some point. Yeah. But it's so refreshing. And I think as fans warms our heart to hear people like you talk the way you do and, you know, to really appreciate it. It's just, uh, you know, 
hearing you say like yeah, when I hear him say Speed Force, you know, I'm sure that you know, get goosebumps, <laughs> you know, yeah. and having it's you talk amazing. about yeah. that, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's it. Look, you know, I've made no secret of this either that I, I didn't get into comics because I was a writer looking for a medium. I got into comics because I love these characters, and they were a constant, you know, state of, of you know, of of peace and contentment to me when I was a little kid in a, in a really tumultuous situation. And, you know, I, I've never forgotten that. So why, why not lean into that? I mean, I get to do for a living and get paid to do something I would have done for free when I was 12 years old. Don't tell me how, how cool is that? You know, <laughs> don't let anyone else hear that because then yeah. they're going to be, <laughs> yeah. sorry, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, you know, wanted to jump to another project, um, which is 52, uh, which you were, you know, a uh, co-writer on this, you know, week, weekly, year long series. Um, As you can probably tell from my lines of questioning elsewhere, I'm kind of a process guy and I love to hear sort of the inner workings. So this is a particularly odd and complex, you know, situation with um, three other co-writers what was the process like how did how did that all fit together it was you know it it was dan didio wanting to do his one year later thing that's where it started right and then the question became can we do something that covers the year in between and shows where the heroes are and what they went through um that of course ended up being nothing about superman batman and wonder woman everything about you know elongated man booster gold but it which just, was it awesome that, yeah it just grew that way it's a, it was a it was a book full of second stringers and clark kent um and and you know so so we you know jeff greg grant and i all got together in new york for a summit um we were i knew all three of them grant greg didn't know anybody he was a little nervous about that but it was all great um and it really was the best situation. It's just sitting around a table, throwing out ideas and just trying to top each other, but with no ego involved, right? You know, the, the, what you wanted in that moment was to make everybody else in the room applaud and, you know, and, and smile and say, that's great. And that's, that's what it was. It was throwing out ideas about, wouldn't this be an interesting image? I mean, wouldn't, I, th- I think the very first image was mine. I think it was the idea of wouldn't it be interesting to see the question mark on a bat signal and get projected that way. And I think that little things like that, everybody had their own takes. Grant is the Grant steered. We, we all worked very closely in concert. Grant, I think, steered away from us a little tiny bit only because he was doing the space stuff, which had no impact on what was going on on Earth, where the rest of us were dealing with the Earth stuff. Uh, although Grant had his, you know, he had his finger in that pie too. So uh, twice during the year, we physically got together in a big room for, you know, two or three days. And the rest of it was every week at, you know, Tuesday at two or whatever time it was, I forget, we would have our phone call. And Steve Wacker, who was a scheduling genius, who really more than anybody, you know, held the thing together uh and made it come out every week uh you know sort of put the calls together and was a voice in the room keith giffen was a voice in the room when he was i don't want to you know i I forgot to mention him and it's that's ridiculous i mean keith keith also the glue you know the the smart the smart smart idea of saying we don't want just writers in the room you know we also want keith who was going to do layouts for all issues we also wanted jg jones who's going to do all the covers. We wanted them in the room and they were, you know, Keith is never shy about throwing out ideas as he shouldn't be. And that was always helpful. And, and JG was always there to go, you know, for me to go, Hey, if you use Dr. Helmet or Dr. Fate's helmet as a Halloween basket, does that look really stupid? You know, no, looks great. So awesome. <laughs> um, that, you know, that was the process. It was just every week, you know, getting together. And so what we do, basically, we, we didn't set out to do this way, but at the end of the first in-person meeting, it was really here are the six or seven storylines. And, you know, Jeff, you tend to gravitate toward 
booster gold and whatever. And, you know, you, you know, Greg, obviously you lean toward Renee Montoya, Mark, you kind of lean towards, you know, Clark Kent and so forth. So each of us handled a couple of the storylines and we would get together. We had it, you know, mapped out on a beat by beat level per issue, roughly, you know, plenty of room in there for flexibility, plenty of room in there for surprises. Um, but you know, every week we get on the phone and we go, okay, for my, you know, for my bit this week, I'd like to do this thing with elongated man. And here's the scene I have in mind. And this probably takes about four pages, probably takes about three pages or whatever. And that's the conversation we would have. And how could we feed off each other and how we could make the ideas better and how we could, you know, I cannot stress enough. No one in that room had ego about what they were doing. It was seamless it was it's it's a dream situation because you get four people in the room five including keith working you know six including whacker like nobody jockeyed for position no one was jealous or pissy or you know petulant about things that did or didn't work it just you know we were all in each other's corner for an entire year and what an incredibly supportive environment that was thank you steve whacker yeah I was there any incredible? Yeah. Go ahead, ahead, sorry. No, no, please. Um, I, I just, you know, just to pick out a piece from from that is, I, I thought it was incredible that it was uh, the, the cross pollination that was happening. Yeah. So it yeah. wasn't uh, people didn't feel, you know, ownership like I'm going to hold on to this idea for for my section right. of the story. It was like, well, right. this could work over here. This, I'll take something from you over there, and mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's amazing to hear that kind of collaboration mm-hmm. um, because you think with you know such writers uh, of your caliber in the room that maybe there would be some sort of butting of heads and you, competition. You think, but you um, know, I, I remember we were in the cab ride coming from the airport, and I'm in the back of the car with Greg, and Greg says, "You know, I've never met those guys before. I hope, you know, I hope that." it's not awkward around them. I hope they don't have an ego. And I turned to him and said, great, everybody's worried about you. <laughs> don't worry about it. And I, you know, it's a joke. I said this, but it was, it was just seamless. I, I couldn't believe how quickly it all came together. And like you said, yeah, I would, you know, I'd have basically custody of elongated man, if you will. But, you know, as we got into the thing, if somebody else had had an idea for, you know, this could play into this, or maybe you could do this or, I got to be out next week because I got a wedding to go to or something. Can you, you know, can I hand the baton over to somebody else for a week? That's the way it went. You guys had such a great system and gelled so well together. And, you know, all your ideas came together so perfectly, but was there anything that maybe DC was like, no, 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 you can't do that. Yes. Um, If you look at, I think it's issue 41, whatever the resolution of the elongated man storyline is. Okay. If you look at that book, there's no writer credit on that book. No, wow. And that's because the direction that we all thought we should be pulling in, and it was always planned for Ralph, um, at the last possible second, um, there, was a, there was a veto from up above, above Wacker, who, right above Wacker, who, you know, well, no, I want it to be this instead. But all four of us are going 40 weeks that doesn't, we've been building to this doesn't work. And by the way, you signed off on it a million years ago. Nah, we're that way. Try again. I know I rewrote issue 41 three times and it was always, nope, not what I want. And so, which is fine. You know what? Not my toys, not my company. And finally I just said, look, I can't give you what you want. And to their eternal credit, all three of the other writers, when they said, you know what? That was Mark's, that was Mark's storyline, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this for him. So, issue 41 sort of wrote itself. Interesting. Other than Very that, other than that, no, I, I don't think there was anything that DC said. Don't do that. We, mm-hmm. I mean, but remember, you know, we're all seasoned pros. Like we right. all, yeah. we all kind of instinctively know where the guardrails are. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. No, I'm just curious because you know sometimes when you get into these long. Uh, you know, weekly series, sometimes you need to kind of really push the boundaries in order to keep, you yeah. know, everyone um, really, in, uh, you know, yeah. involved Invested, in it, sure. yeah, uh, I, which I think there was plenty of. I will, uh, I will I exhibit a wicker Sue. 
But yes, okay. um, my proudest moment of the series, by the way, Wicker Sue. So um, yes, trying to make things scary, push boundaries, and have the characters do things they didn't want to do. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, I wanted to ask about um, now that I know you're such a big Superman uh, fan, the number one. Yeah, you didn't. I mean, you didn't know this before, but you may have heard it now. So, yeah. Well, you know, I knew you were, but not to the level that you apparently are. So you didn't know the rank. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know the ranking system, but I know the rank. Now I know. (laughs) That being said, uh, I wanted to ask about Irredeemable. Um, It's. I have to, I, I, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I just started reading it about two, three weeks ago uh, ah, because it came across my, no. I'm sorry, guys, we got to go. You know what, Mike, you do this. Cause I, um, uh, I try to, I try to consume as much con- comic book content as I can, but right. I have kids. So I yeah, have, exactly. to, so many hours. have to sleep so you eventually. Say, you were going to say, uh, that being said, um, kick-ass story by the way um you know i I wanted to ask you as a superman fan it seems like within the past maybe 10 years or so there is a trend of really making superman an an (laughs) a-hole you know they really like to have fun with that um and i I, I takes and this and that yeah yeah you know Movies, certainly various video games and yeah. uh, Elseworlds, if you will. Um, wh- why is that? All of a sudden, now let's let's just give it to Superman. I think. I mean, honestly, part of it is because it's really low hanging fruit. <laughs> um, it's so easy to write the story. What if Superman was an asshole? Which to me is a reason not to do it. Um, and if you look at irredeemable in the whole and as you go through it i think you'll see that while that may have been the initial spark in in the back of my head it it is so much more than that it is so much more than that and it i think that it is i I hope that it has a depth to it that is you know also in its way a, a, a very positive commentary on superman as opposed to you know, we're going to make, we're going to, you know, make up a fake Superman and make him an asshole because we think Superman's a jerk. Um, I don't believe that. And not to spoil anything, but you will, you will get to the end and you will understand how uncynical and how ultimately positive this story ends up being. Okay. No, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's great. I just, you know, I, I, uh, you know, you just notice that everyone is getting on the uh, make Superman evil bandwagon yeah. with, yeah. And you know, it, I think, <clears throat> and I know you don't want to, you don't necessarily need to know my idea, but you know, it's just, um, it, like you said, it's low hanging fruit, and I think it's one of these kind of wow factors to bring people in, and then after a while, you get into it, and yeah, yeah that's yeah, it, you kind of get let down by it um, because. After a while, like, I don't need to see Superman like that. No, it, it's, you know? it's really repetitive. And in fact, you know, the conversations I've had with the director and the, the writer of the Irredeemable film, for those of you who don't know, Netflix will be doing an Irredeemable film. Um, and the conversations I've had with them have been, well, they have been fans from the book since the get-go, but we're going to have to change perspective a little bit not Mm. in any way i I love their take and it's still very true to what we've done but because of the boys because of brightburn because of you know this because of that so many things since then that have been what you said what if superman was a jerk Mm -hmm. we we don't want to run the risk of anyone looking at this and going oh it's just another rip off of the boys or oh it's just another one of those things um that's the John Carter curse, right? That, that's one of the reasons John Carter bombed is because everybody looked at it and went, I've seen it all before. Meaning that, yes, you saw it all before because this is where it all started, right. but nobody knows this. Um, so I love their take. And it's still the story we told and Peter and I, and it's still, and, and Edward Barreto and I, and it's still, it, it's, I, I, you have to make changes when you move from one medium to the other. That only makes sense. Uh, but they still kept the spirit of everything. At least their their plan is now, and so that's you know that's just a, again getting back to a comment on yeah you're right it it is very tired 
at this point. It is a very tired trope. So what can we do with the irredeemable movie to make sure that we keep the integrity of the story without making anybody who is a casual viewer flipping through Netflix going, oh, look, it's a boy's ripoff. I, yeah, that was I the. That comp- <laughs> I was just going to say that the only thing I, out of all the uh, you know bad Superman stories that I kind of enjoyed, was the injustice uh, yeah. version of it because they kind of justified it. Yeah. You know, it's not like Homelander or even Earth Three Superman is. They're just bad. Like there's no reasoning behind it. They're just real big jerks, and yeah. that's it. Yeah. Okay, injustice Superman. Well, this is what happened. And yeah. led him to being the way he is. So it, it helps that Tom is a Tom Taylor's a really good writer. That helped a lot. Yeah. Sorry, Mike. Yeah. I, I I was just gonna say I, I, I like what you said about um trying to not fall into the trap, which I think is part of why it's low-hanging fruit of being cynical. Yeah. Right. You can still have a story where Superman is something he's evil for some reason for for whatever without sort of being just like well this is the way the world is everything's yeah. gonna turn to shit you know right, right. um I have, so, I, I have no I use for cynicism that. i just i i'm i don't i don't like writing cynical stories i don't enjoy reading cynical stories unless there's a real thought and purpose to it um I just, I don't have much use for cynicism because it's so easy. Anyone, anyone can write the story that is cynical. It takes effort to write a story that is not. Too true. Too true. Um, I had some questions um, both in for the irredeemable story and incorruptible as it is, as sure. well as the uh, adaptation, which by the way, congratulations. That's Thank you. amazing news. And, you know, you actually have people attached, so that means it's actually going to get made. It, it, you know, we hear good. so many things. things that get nothing's real and, until it shows up on your that's screen. True. But that's true. let's well, everything. Knock on wood. You know, all signals, you know, indicate go at this point. So yeah, so that's great. Um, so so the comic, in terms of the structure, there, um, it seems to me, uh, if I were to hear about this sort of objectively about this story idea mm-hmm. and incorruptible sort of the companion story, that um, it seems like a almost a contained story, something that would be more aligned with a limited series or mm-hmm. a maxi series, whatever you want to call it, as opposed to ongoing. I w- was wondering what you know your thought process was in starting that story, knowing that it was. You, you were not going to take that format. You were going to, you know, make it as ongoing as you wanted. Right. Obviously, you can find the end where you wanted to. Like I said before, it, it, the, the beauty of writing an ongoing is that you can just build stuff and not necessarily know where you're going, which is to my strength. That's one of the things I, I enjoy doing um, as long as I can all tie, you know, tie it together at the end. Uh, it's so, I mean, I always had the idea of the ending of irredeemable in, in my head. I just knew where, where, where we were going to land, but going there and just finding interesting things about the characters and the character combinations and, and watching them grow on the page, it just made it much you know easier to tell more and more stories. Incorruptible was just, you know, the flip side. What if, what if a supervillain turned good, which is set in the same universe. It, it's just the, the his war supervillain going, well, if he's going to be a jerk, I'm the only guy who can take him down. I may as well be on the side of the angels. Uh, that came strictly out of the marketing department at Boom going, holy crap, do we have a hit on our hands? We got to do something with this. Can you do another book? And that one was created in about half an hour. Um, and I think it, you know, I'm luckily, I think it came together pretty well. I, um, I love the answer uh, that because I think comics lends itself to that type of creativity of having the ongoing, right? So you have other media where um, you can have, you know, these episodic stories with a very, you know, finite ending. Um, Mm -hmm. But comics with with an ongoing series is really one of the only places where, I mean, you could have, you know, uh, Law and Order which is really episodic with no overarching story. Right. Some may argue. Um, But that this is, you know, why not take advantage of this, uh, you know, the comics medium and and tell the story you want to be told and discover things along the way. There's no other medium in in human history 
that is this, that is continuing stories, 40, 50, 60, 70 years of the same characters. There's never been, never, there's never been anything like it. Um, yeah, there's been a million Sherlock Holmes stories, but they're not, you know, they're not building off of each other. They don't reference and they don't, they don't all build off each other. You don't feel like, oh my God, I missed the Hound of the Baskervilles. I'll never understand the rest of them, you know, never understand the sign of the four. Um, it doesn't work that way. Uh, it's very, they're very modular. You can read the Sherlock Holmes stories and whatever you want, but you know, if you not going to get as much out of reading a 1949 Batman story after you read last week's Batman story. It's you see the progression, you see the growth, you see how things, you know, change and adapt and grow again to make myself repetitive grow. Um, yeah, I'm, this is my long winded way of saying, yes, I agree with you. Um, and then the opposite side of the coin here is, you know, what's happening with adaptation where they are bringing your, you know, a few years, 30 odd issues yeah. of irredeemable and 30 odd issues of incorruptible um, together into one feature film. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on that? How do you, do you, have you seen an advanced way of how they're doing it? And yeah, you know, I mean, we've had a real, a real detailed conversation about how they're doing it. I'm, I think it's really good. Um, there's, you know, you can get more into a feature film than you think you can. I will, it was a completely different animal. But if you remember when Adam McKay was going to do it a few years ago, it was announced Adam McKay is going to do the Irredeemable movie, great. And then Disney buys Fox, which owns Boom. And Disney's like, we got enough superheroes, thank you. Um, they sent me the script. And I couldn't believe how incredibly faithful it was. I, you know, There's no robot dog put in there. There's no you know, weird love interest that wasn't there. There was no, you know, no, it was just basically here's Mark's story condensed from 37 issues into, you know, two, two and a half hours. So it can be done. This is not the approach that uh, Samuel James took, but doesn't matter. I mean, I, the, the spirit of the story is still there. The, to me, the heart of the story is understanding why someone who can have anything and do anything and be anything is not happy and is not content and is not, you know, what are you looking for? Why are you broken? If you have all of this power, why are you so broken? And diving further and further and further down that hole is to me, the heart of the story. Everything else is just stage racing. And you have uh, such a phenomenal talent writing talent like yourself uh working on it with uh kemp powers who yeah you know and one night in miami was phenomenal 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 yeah. film and and so also i mean fits right in with uh what a you know again i'm gonna repeat phenomenal uh yeah. a run that pixar has had yeah in terms of not only well animated but just so well written um, yeah uh, movies so and and both you got to be are, feel feel a little more confident with um, i do talent like that at the i at do the helm. also both of them are are huge fans of the book which was nice they were they were fans back when they had just heard about it you know sandals told me a long story about how he discovered it with issue four or whatever it was and camp was a beginning you know and that was to hear them tell it you know the first time they met that's one of the things they talked about was have you read this so they've been wanting to do it for a while that's that was also a big show of faith it's not just some chimp coming in who hasn't read the book right uh i just want to you know before before we go and um uh, one of the things uh, you know I, I learned about you that I always found fascinating was your involvement with Boom Studios and being uh, creative, chief creative officer for a yeah. period of time. <clears throat> what was that experience like for you? Because it seems like over there they're really having fun with a lot of different characters. Yeah. You know, blending characters together that normally wouldn't see the face of day together, and right. they just they're having fun. It seems. I, it, for me, it was more found that foundational role. I mean, I was there from the beginning uh, when we, the early days when we, when we weren't doing so much of the fun stuff, we no. were doing, you know, a lot of, you know, licensed books, which are universally a horrible job to have. Um, they can turn out well. I mean, there's been a lot of great stories, you know, from boom that have been licensed properties, but 
yeah. as somebody who watches the sausage made, it is, it is a horrible process. So there was a lot of that early on, but it was, it was, it was delightful in that, you know, I'd been an editor 20, you know, almost 20 years previous uh, to get back in that role and to see new talent and to work with new talent. And so especially at Boom, because we're, you know, we weren't a big player. We were just starting out. So therefore we were working with a lot of beginners and being able to teach my craft to other younger writers was especially rewarding because if you ever want to realize how much you know or don't know or need to learn, teach it to somebody else. And so a lot of it was just teaching writers and saying, you should do this and this and go, you know, that was true in 1992 or whatever. I'm not sure that's true anymore. I mean, I don't think that you got to go in your toolbox as a writer every few years and just make sure everything still has a purpose and some stuff doesn't and you throw it out. Very cool. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, that was uh, really interesting. I was just always curious about them because they kind of, um, kind of popped up yeah. and, and all of a sudden, like they just have all these great, uh, yeah. or at least, you know, from my point of view, cause a lot yeah, of stuff that from I've, your point of view, it's, from your point of view, it's all of a sudden from my point of view, it's like, it's been 20 years almost. Yeah. 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 So for 15 years or whatever, I, but uh, you know, and not to mock you in any way, shape or form. I just think that's great that they, they have that impact. Um, but yeah, in the early days, it was just like me and Ross and Andy Cosby and, you know, a couple of staffers just trying to figure out how to make this work. And then there was the, I think my favorite story from this time, that time period is we were looking for an editor to come in and we're interviewing a bunch of people. Okay. Um, nobody that, you know, and all, all Tyros, you know, and there was one guy who came in and uh, in his conversation, we talked about the things he's reading, the things he likes. And he talked about why the last man mm-hmm. and was so excited to explain to me how the book ended the book that I had not finished reading yet that I, I literally threw a comic book at his head. <laughs> he said, no, out, you're out. You know, that he never came. I don't know. You know, I, for all I know, he's working in the industry now. I don't remember his name. I just remember he's the guy who spoiled why the last man for me. Um, he wrote, he worked on the, the series probably. That That's why it didn't work out. <laughs> I don't like to judge people, but yeah. That's it was, it, it was a good experience. Like I, I've, I've been very lucky to have very few bad experiences in comics and those that have been bad have been mercifully short. And even cross was good until it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've talked, we talked last time about cross gen. Cross gen is always a fascinating topic for me because yeah. of the sort of pure, pure studio aspect of it and working yeah. in tandem with the artists. Um, and so it works for a lot of people. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it, a lot of people, who worked there the, uh, came away from it and still talk about it glowingly. But those, that's because those are the people who weren't owed money when it was all said and done. <laughs> yeah. All right. Last question. Fun question. Hopefully you didn't answer this already. I, I can't say I that, so. I, you know, I I've, I've kept up with every social media post, but fan casting yeah. for the movie. Yeah. Have you thought about it? Have you thrown out any names for, you know, Plutonian max damage? This is the God's honest truth. Until you just asked me, it never even occurred to me, which sounds ridiculous to you, but I've been so involved and thinking and focused on how they're going to tell the story that I haven't once thought about who would make a great Max Damage and who would make a great Plutonian. But now you give me something to think about. Thanks. Good job, Mike. <laughs> yeah. no if you need right to... off the top of the dome. Yeah. I'm sure. Sh- I'm sure that I'm sure that the comment section. I mean, everyone be- just says John Hamm for everything. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you need two podcasters, uh, we yeah. know, right? We yeah, just, we're, yeah. We're, you know, we'll send you some headshots. Yeah, um, Mr. Wade, this has been an absolute pleasure. No, happy to. My pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Sure. Um, obviously, we mentioned. Um, you know, your upcoming projects, uh, on Netflix. Uh, right. but is there anything else coming out that we like to, uh, mention or plug before yeah, we go? I want, I, want to, I want to plug world's finest. I want to plug yes. that, that's the Batman book that launched yep. a couple of weeks ago that Dan Moore is doing the artwork on and Tamara Bondalong is doing the, the coloring and it's 
it, it's a really good looking book and the reception to it has been very, very pleased. I haven't had reception to something like this until since Daredevil, which is very nice. Um, and it's a blast to do. And we, we're just having a ball. It's a dream job. Um, there's that. I also am still functioning as the publisher of Humanoids, which is the you know the foreign publisher who's got an office in the U.S., uh, do a lot of European books, but also a lot of homegrown stuff, uh, graphic novels and so forth. And one of the things that I would encourage people to look at is purely by coincidence, uh, we are publishing this month a book about uh, a guy named a man with the last name of Makhno, who was a Ukrainian freedom fighter back in the Russian revolution days. And it's his biography and it's a very moving story. It's very well told. And obviously we didn't, you know, time it to be advantageous to on a marketing level or whatever, which is something we scheduled six months ago, you know, uh, but it comes, it, it comes out either next week or, or the week after even this week, I somewhere in this time period. And I would encourage people to pick it up if only because we will be no- donating a portion of the proceeds to uh, a charity that deals with the frontline workers at, you know, the, the frontline soldiers on, you know, what's going on with the Ukraine. We're not necessarily, there's plenty of charities that do, you know, food, that do comfort, that do this or that. We are working with a charity called Razum, R-A-Z-O-M, which specializes in, you know, frontline work, which we thought was appropriate for somebody like Makhno, who was, you know, a, the ultimate revolutionary. Okay. That's awesome. We will yeah, we're definitely going to include in that on our, yeah. our show notes. And please, please. Uh, when it comes out, when we post it, uh, we'll make sure that we can, uh, you know, give everyone the heads up on that as well. Ooh, excellent. Thank you so that, much. Markwade.com, right? That's it. I think that's it. Yep. Markwade.com and, uh, you know, Mark Wade on Twitter, although, I, I will not with all the caveats of Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I will not answer <laughs> you there because I can't go there because it's just a toxic cesspool. Uh, Wade Wade Mark on Instagram only because some other idiot has Mark Wade. Um, yeah, so I'm around. You can find me. All right. Well, really appreciate uh, you yeah. taking the time again um, to talk to us and, uh, and, you know, thank you for all of your creative contributions. World's finest. Uh, I, I have to catch up on, I knew it was coming out and then now I'm glad you reminded uh, us and the viewers. Um, so thank you very much, Mark. Uh, appreciate it. And, um, hopefully we'll talk to you again down the road. Hey, welcome back. So I hope you guys liked our part two with Mark Wade. It was absolutely thrilling talking to him. Like I said, um, to talk to the guy who was one of the architects behind Kingdom Come, which for me was a big deal. It was it was just amazing. Uh, also, come to find out, as you did, that he is the number one Superman fan. Uh, all this time, I've been misled. I thought it was me. Clearly, I was wrong. Yeah, I, I'd love to do like the weekly Wade and have him on every week because I think there's just so much we can talk to him about and learn from him. Uh, again, like I said before, you guys did a wonderful job. Uh, I just love hearing his stories and uh, what an impact he's really had on the comic community. Highly ranked in Superman fan um, uh, data. Uh, highly ranked as a guest of this show. Uh, would love to have him on again. If we could do a weekly Wade, that would be great. I did want to highlight, although he did it at the end of his own episode, um, two two projects. One is The World's Finest, which is going on right now with artist Dan Mora. They're doing a bang-up job on that. So if you haven't gotten the first few issues or have not yet planned on getting the next few, please go find that. And then this interesting project from uh, Humanoids called... Uh, Makno, which is about the Ukrainian freedom fighter. And um, a portion of those proceeds from that book go to uh, Ukrainian relief efforts. So definitely want to get that on people's radars, make sure um, we get some well uh, deserved uh, funds uh, raised for that charity. And um, yeah, I think that'll do it for this episode of Dollar Bin Bandits. Uh, It was great to have Mark Wade on there. And uh, we will see you next time, banditos. Adios.
The Dollar Bin Bandits are Oren Phillips, Joe Marcello, and Mike Farah. New episodes release every Wednesday and Friday. You can find us on all the socials at Dollar Bin Bandits on Facebook and Instagram at DB Bandits on X. For more super nerdy discourse, join the Dollar Bin Banter group on Facebook. You can email us at dollarbinbandits at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you found this episode. It's the easiest and most helpful way to grow the show. Looking for merch? Search us up on TeePublic. And if you want to support what we do, smash that support button on our website, dollarbinbandits.buzzsprout.com. Thank you to Sean McMillan for our graphics and Pat McGrath for our logo. Thank you to our friends at Tomorrow's Publishing, T-W-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-S.com. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, banditos.